All right, what's going on, everybody? This is episode two of Live from the Couch, which is me, Paul Cantor, uh, talking to you live from the couch. Um, I had so much fun doing the first episode of this that I decided to do another. Uh, basically, um, if you listened to episode one, I I pretty much said I wasn't sure if I'd continue um, doing the podcast, you know, like I didn't really have much expectations for it, but uh, here I am uh, doing another uh, episode only a day later. Um, I really was uh, quite encouraged actually by how many people listened to the first episode. Um, I wasn't really expecting anyone to listen to it. Um, I, my goal was if one person listened to it, I would have considered that, you know, um, progress, <laughs> um, or that was an accomplishment to me, you know, having just one person listen to it. Um, or at least if I listened to it and I thought it was good, it, you know, that would have been like, uh, a lot to me. Um, and yet, you know, quite a few people listen to it. I mean, still not uh, too many, but a, a number that was, you know, encouraging to me and it made me feel like, you know, maybe I should, uh, continue doing this. Um, and then I thought, you know, well, should I do one next week? Uh, should I do one in two weeks? Um, what, what kind of frequency, you know, should I have? And it's setting yourself up, you know, to do, um, I mean, anytime you try to do something every day, and I don't know if I'll do this every day, but anytime you try to do something every day, you're you're setting yourself up to pretty much um, disappoint people. <laughs> um, but, you know, here's the second one in a row, and maybe I'll do a third one in a row. Again, I have very um, modest expectations uh, for myself here. Um, so... I want to be a little more focused on this one than I was on that one because, you know, I was pretty much just introducing myself. Uh, but what I realized on that one was that I didn't really talk enough about myself and who the fuck I am and why you should be listening to this, um, which I think is important. Um, but then really is it? Um, I think one of the reasons why I didn't really introduce myself on that first episode was that I felt whoever listened to it probably already had some familiarity with who I was and that was why they had tuned in in the first place um and the more I thought about it the more I was like well who is anyone anyway um <laughs> in a very weird like kind of existential kind of way I mean like why should anyone you know listen to anything. Um, and then I kind of really was asking myself, who am I per se and why should you listen to this? And I guess a little bit about me is um, I've been writing about, you know, music and popular culture and entertainment for about, um, I want to say maybe 15 years. I got my start in uh, 2004. Um, I began my career really in music as, as many people do in music, kind of just trying to figure out, you know, 
what my career was going to be. And I really wanted to be in the music industry as a music producer. Um, that was always, my interest was always um, in, you know, on the music side, on the creative side of things. I never really had a strong interest in um, gossip and, you know, whatever entertainment reporting um, kind of became or is. Um, and I broke into the music industry doing that, you know, I would just pretty much run around Manhattan with friends of mine, um, you know, trying to sell beats to artists. Um, I would, you know, go to record labels and bring back then you used to have to bring like CDs of your beats to different studios and different record labels. And, you know, you would make the beats at home and, and then kind of go around as if you were like, you know, pushing around like demos of, of beats. Now you, you know, you email the beats or whatever, or you send people a SoundCloud link or now, I mean, in fact, a lot of times now people are just, you know, they send it in iMessage um, and somebody will listen on their phone. You know, it's, it's gotten quite sophisticated, but years ago, I mean, you would have to put the beats on a CD and even before me, you'd have to put them on a tape or something. Um, and before that, you'd probably have to put it on a DAT um, and I'm going, I'm going way back, you know. Um, but, you know, at that point in time, like access to the industry was everything. And um, it was really uh, like just about being there. And if you could get into those recording studios, if you could get into those record labels, um, you would wind up, you know, meeting a lot of people. And it was a very tough, challenging um, kind of uh, work because I didn't know anybody. Um, I really, you know, I don't have any connections to the music industry. I didn't grow up in a musical uh, family in the sense that like uh, we had a lot of connections um, to the industry in any way. In fact, I can remember my my actual introduction or, or or real ambition and aspiration to actually have a career in music was I was working with some kids locally and um and my boy Q who was uh, my like my production partner at that time who was a little older than me was in my house and I was playing him a beat and he was like yo man we should we should get this beat to um I think it was Exhibit at the time um and uh, for those who don't know, like Exhibit, you know, before he was, he had like an MTV show, which pretty much made him a celebrity, uh, pimping out people's cars. He was a rapper, you know, <laughs> I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, but he was like, yo, we should get this to Exhibit. And I just thought, you know, how the fuck are we going to do that? And he was like, easy, we'll just, you know, go find him and give it to him. And, and, um, it was kind of like in in that moment a defeatist you know mentality uh in my head that kind of was revealing itself which which was basically this idea of uh feeling like sort of hopeless right i mean i look back on that and i i feel that you know it was a pivotal moment um because here were two people and one person, you know, basically feels like there's no opportunity and another person who has no connection to anything feels like, well, we just make it happen. And uh, I was, uh, I think, 20 at that time. 
um, perhaps a little younger and maybe 19. And um, that little kernel of just like, you know, it, you know, why not? I mean, that's kind of, in a sense, how I got into this line of work and how I'm sitting here now at, you know, age 37 and I'm, I'm talking, you know, here with a podcast and you're listening to it. And like, you know, I was just in a bedroom. I was just like a pretty much a, an average or definitely below average white kid sitting, you know, in the fucking nether reaches of Staten Island, you know, and I really did not foresee myself having a career in, in, in anything. Um, I mean, I, I wanted to have a career in music, but, but it was definitely like a pipe dream. And, um, why not? Why not is really the, um, the, the thing that if you're listening to this, I, you know, I would love for you to take from it is like, is like, if not, why not? Um, and so even with this, like, why listen to this? I don't know. Why not? <laughs> um, why do this? I don't know. Why not? Because you can, I mean, that it's like, it's like, um, you know, it's like climbing mountains. Um, it's like, why does anybody climb a mountain? I mean, because it's there. That, that's why, you know? Um, and so I feel that, you know, why listen to this? I don't know, because it's there. So anyway, I got I got into the music industry, you know, as a producer and, you know, I produced a few records, nothing really major. Um, I guess I don't see it that way. Um, worked with a few, you know, people throughout the years, either my, you know, directly or indirectly, whether that was, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan or the Fugees or, um, you know, I'm kind of blanking actually. Um, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I had a recording studio and pretty much, you know, um, people would come through and, and, and record there. And, uh, I kind of just hit the streets and through hitting the streets, I met a lot of people and, um, through meeting people, I was also getting my degree in journalism at the time at the college of Staten Island. And, uh, I started writing for double XL magazine to make a long story short. And, um, that was how I, you know, began my career, um, you know, writing for double XL at the, you know, peak period of double XL's ascendancy, you know, when they were doing Eminem and 50 cent and all that shit, like pretty much on the covers, like every month. And uh, from there, I went to work at a magazine called Scratch, which was a magazine for DJs and producers. Um, from there, I went to work at MTV. Um, from MTV, I, you know, went back into, uh, well, actually, while I was working at MTV, I also wrote a very popular blog on the XXL website. Um, and then I went into management for a little while. Um, I was also producing, you know, and making, you know, uh, music for, uh, television shows and films. Um, and so I've always had my hands in a lot of different pots. Um, and one thing I thought of actually, cause I'm, I'm sure you're getting fucking bored of listening to this. Um, I'm actually getting bored talking about it because nothing is more boring than a person telling you their fucking life story. I mean, unless, um, they have some real traumatic things like the, 
the um the boiler point the boiler point or boilerplate um like like uh you know this happened this happened this happened of a person's career is not you know generally that interesting um pardon me while i take a sip of my coffee um so i think um I was thinking actually about doing a, doing this podcast and how I was hopping on a little bit of a bandwagon or whatever. And a lot of people don't know, but I actually uh back in 2006 and it's funny that I'm 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 going to tell you this story because I remember um last year when I published a story on um the great uh legendary podcaster Combat Jack um which was really about Combat Jack's uh, last couple months of of uh, life uh, dealing with cancer and um, his subsequent passing, which was which was very unfortunate. Um, you know, he and I would have conversations, and we had conversations over the years, even before I was working on that story. And I had had conversations with many people about podcasts, um, just in the media industry, and uh, you know. It was funny talking to him about this stuff because he his his insistence to me was that many people didn't really even know what a podcast was. Um, even in uh, at that point, it was 2017. Like, he, you know, his feeling, and I think the feeling of many people is that um, you know podcasts are kind of this thing that the average person doesn't really know that much about, um, and. Uh, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. Um, but that said, I remember when Reggie started the podcast in, you know, maybe 2011 or 2012. This was after he was, you know, doing the show as like a live thing. Um, it was interesting to me because I actually was involved in a podcasting startup um, as far back as 2006, um, you know, and really what I'm doing now, like, and the ease at which I'm doing this, just sitting here recording this on my phone, um, these were all things that when we built that business, even though I wasn't like that involved with the actual, um, programming or anything like that, cause I don't fucking know how to code or any, any shit you're supposed to, you know, know how to do. Um, like if you want to have a, a future <laughs> in America, um, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I wasn't involved on that level. Um, I was more of like an advisor and, and like a, you know, a kind of a consultant, but like, um, the business plan for that company was pretty much whatever this is now and whatever podcasting has become. So here we are, it's like 13 years later, it's 2019 and podcasting is sort of, it's not mainstream, but you know, it's definitely, you know, more popular than it was. And, you know, I don't think most people know what a podcast is, but then at the same time, I do think there's a large percentage of people who do, um, and it's fascinating to me to think like I would sit around thinking like I'm jumping on some kind of fucking bandwagon when the reality of it is motherfuckers is jumping on a bandwagon I was already on. Like that that's how, you know, ahead of the shit I actually am. It's like you're talking about things and, you know, um, people are just getting hip to things that, you know, I was really up on all the way back then. Not to make myself sound cool. I mean, the reality of it is. That company, you know, um, my 
partners in that company wound up uh, kind of uh, being at odds with each other and, you know, it just kind of fell apart. It didn't really, we weren't able to execute whatever was executed. But all the things you're seeing now uh, were pretty much ideas that we had back then. And we weren't the only people that were trying to do it. There were many people with podcasting startups back then. But this sort of critical mass that you need to make anything happen did not exist then. Um, and that's why the shit went, went belly up, um, <laughs> you know, uh, but we did take funding, you know, and we, we definitely had money. Um, and, uh, it was like an exciting time, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, there was more excitement, you know, in it than, uh, in some sense, because it really wasn't a thing that was mainstream. And I can remember like meetings in like Starbucks where we were like literally talking about, the exact fucking thing I'm doing right now, you know? Um, so I don't, I don't feel any way about jumping on a bandwagon. I feel if anything, I've been really patient in not doing this and not, you know, having a podcast. Um, I've just been watching everyone else and just sort of, uh, at a certain point feeling like, you know, it was time to do it. So that said, I, I, uh, you know, I want to get into a couple things today. Um, the first thing off the top of my head, right, is, is you know, which is something I've been really thinking about since the Grammys. Um, and what, and I, I mean, I don't know, man, people are probably going to disagree with me, but I honestly don't give a fuck. Um, and it's really something I'm not sure about, but uh, it's definitely a thing I'm thinking, and it's really this idea of Cardi B be, being just way overhyped. Um, I mean, is Cardi B a good rapper? Yeah, I mean, she's okay. Um, is Cardi B an interesting personality? Uh, yeah, she's okay. Um, you know, is Cardi B like uh, a celebrity. Uh, uh, yeah, she's a huge celebrity. I mean, she, she might be like one of the most famous people r right now. Um, it's kind of amazing the level of fame that she's attained in such a short period of time. Um, the only person I can really like compare her to, which is sad. And I, I'm not, I'm not saying this is a good thing to, to, to compare her to, to her because these, com this comparisons made all the fucking time. Right. But, uh, if I had to compare her to somebody, I mean, you, you might compare her to like a Nicki Minaj. Right. Um, and they, you know, I know they had the beef and, you know, I was at, I was at the fucking, you know, the, um, the uh, Harper's Bazaar uh, party where they got into the fight. I mean, I was there. <laughs> um, and, you know, that was like a huge thing. Um, everybody was talking about that at the party. I mean, that was honestly the craziest party I think I've ever been to. I mean, if you could imagine being at a party um, with like... 5,000 people and like 4,000 of 4,000 of them are women and 3,500 of them are models or aspiring models. I mean, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I can even, I got a little drunk there, a little too drunk, I have to say. And I do remember sitting at the bar and a girl next to me actually exposing herself just sitting there. Uh, it was late. I mean, it was probably like 
two o'clock in the morning at that point and she was very drunk and she you know she definitely had her breasts out and I was just like wow like this is what we're doing I mean it was it was definitely um you know uh a fucking it was a scene but anyway the fucking Cardi B I mean like I just feel that, you know, the level of, of fame that she's attained in such a short period of time, I don't know that it really matches her output. Um, she, you know, has a few songs that are uh, reasonably popular, you know, um, and I think that, like, I mean, maybe she has two songs. I mean, in reality, she has two songs or three songs. Uh, and she has one album and she's got like two mixtapes, a bunch of, you know, features on other people's songs. But um, I'm really not certain that, like, that she deserves, and deserves is not even the fucking word I'm looking for because I don't know that anybody gets what they deserve. I mean, it's not, the music industry is not a fucking meritocracy. Like, you don't, it's not like you put in X amount of work and, you know, X amount of fucking fame comes back to you. In fact, it never works like that. Um, there's tons of artists who put in work and literally nobody gives a fuck, you know? Um, but I do think that with her, there is a sense that, um, there is almost like a, like a void in the marketplace for that type of character. Um, the sort of irreverent, um, flippant, like, you know, very, uh, like aggro woman rapper, um, and, you know, she does, she, she does, you know, celebrate, uh, well, the fact that, you know, she's a mother, there's like a radical honesty with her, um, her, her Instagram stories or her Snapchats or whatever the fuck it was she used to do before she was like really famous. And of course she was on, um, you know, reality television that helped her a lot. Um, and I think like the idea of Cardi B as a character is actually more exciting than Cardi B as a musician. Um, her music is good. I mean, I, I definitely do enjoy it, in, you know, but I don't think that like, I don't think that she's doing anything that's really all that sophisticated. Um, you know, it, it, I had to look back when I was so, so, at, so after the Grammys, when she gave her speech and she was like one of the only people that the Grammys didn't just fucking rush off the stage, right? They cut Drake off, you know, they played the music on fucking everyone, right? But, um, I really, like, I went back, I want to say it was, like, maybe 2010 or 2009, maybe, um, could it have been 2011? I honestly don't remember the dates, um, because I don't remember, like, much of anything anymore, but, uh, I remember that Nicki Minaj did, like, a, like, a crazy performance of, um, I want to say it was like Roman's Revenge. Um, and it was this big theatrical kind of thing uh, that she, it was a long performance, like 10 minutes long and very operatic and cinematic. And as I said, theatrical. Um, and in that, you know, song, you had Nikki kind of uh, playing a character, an alter ego, so to speak, in which she was rapping from. Um, and I, by the way, I apologize if, the, if, if that song is not Roman's Revenge. In fact, I, I actually, I'm going to look it up while, while I'm, uh, while I'm talking. Um, 
Because I, I I do want to make sure that I'm 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 correct in that. Um, uh, let me just see. Okay, I actually I'm wrong. So I'm completely fucking wrong. I, it was uh, 2012, and it was um, it was the song Roman Holiday, um, and. You know, I remember that performance, like, as I was watching the Grammys, I, I like, was thinking about that performance, um, and it really just sort of jumped out at me as, like, I, that Nicki Minaj, I'm not saying that she's better, because it's not, like, a, like a, a better or worse type of thing, um, you know, and I don't really even like comparing the two, like, you know, um, why am I even comparing them? Why? Because they're women. I mean, like, I should just compare them to everyone. But, um, but they are women. So what the fuck? I mean, what am I supposed to do? And, uh, I just think that like the level of sophistication and the, the amount of effort and the craftiness and the cleverness and the, um, the sort of, um, creativity that somebody like Nikki had put in at that point, um, it, it really was a throwback to, um, it, but it, maybe it wasn't even a throwback. Honestly, it was, it was very much of its time. It was kind of like a, like a hip hop version of a thing that Lady Gaga had been doing. And Gaga was in some way uh, reinterpreting things that had been done, you know, 10 or 15 years prior, 20 years back when, you know, um, you had people like Michael Jackson and Prince and Madonna um, and David Bowie and like this very campy kind of um, thing. And I don't know that like people, um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't know that people like in the, in the streets, so to speak, like related to the shit Nikki was doing. In fact, they might've even thought it was like kind of corny, but I also thought it was it was kind of moving things forward and 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 really pushing the envelope and being very creative and like with Cardi B I don't I don't see that unfortunately like I just see Cardi B kind of reinforcing things that already exist um like um uh, like she makes you know good you know songs that are basically raps over trap beats I mean it's not like that new or novel or original, um, like, uh, like it is in some sense a little paint by numbers, you know, in terms of just like ad lyrics. Um, and I mean, if you could take anything away from her, I guess it would be that. I mean, I, I like, there are other aspects of her career, which I think are really kind of like dope. I mean, the fact that she was, a fucking stripper and now she's like super famous i mean she's sort of transcended and and i know a lot of people tried to write her off i mean but writing somebody off and 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 you know succeeding really doesn't mean shit if you know if what you're succeeding with is just kind of somewhat average i mean um and you know you may disagree um like i said i'm not I don't have the strongest conviction about this. I mean, I like Cardi B in general, right? Like I sit around and I, I think about her and I'm like, oh, she's dope, you know, but there's a level of dopeness to it that is very like fucking average to me. You know, it's dope in the sense that like, 
I don't want to think that hard about, you know, whether she's good or bad. Like, if I was, like, 10 years younger, I might think, like, she was fucking whack. I mean, I might be way more critical of it. So that's, that's the first thing. I mean, if you disagree, I mean, be, be, you know, be my guest and send me an email or hit me up on Twitter and just tell me what a fucking idiot I am. I'm happy to hear that I'm a fucking idiot because most of my day I think that I'm a fucking idiot. Um, (laughs) so, um, you know, that's perfectly fine for you to think that, um, other things that I would like to talk about, uh, yesterday I saw an interesting thing and, you know, for people who are listening to this, who are like, you know, hip hop people, which is mostly my fucking audience. Um, I kind of have I'm dialed into a lot of different scenes cause I'm interested in a lot of shit. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, getting close to 40, uh, sadly. Um, and uh, my interests are, you know, quite diverse. I don't, it's not like I sit around just fucking listening to rap music all day. I mean, I would, I would love if my existence could be that simple, but it's not. Um, and I'm not, you know, 18 years old and that's, that's not all that fascinating to me, frankly. I mean, once you've heard one rap song, you've heard every single rap song, uh, you know, and I've been listening to rap since I'm like eight. So, uh, I'm kind of dialed into like, a lot of screenwriters and film people, television people, um, just like real creative shit on that end. Um, and cause that's really the, you know, where I, I see my career going. I mean, maybe, hopefully, I don't know. Um, and there's a gentleman, uh, by the name of Brian Koppelman who, um, I like following him. He's an interesting guy. He's got a podcast called The Moment, which is very popular. And, um, you know, he's friends with, you know, different people that I know. I'm not friends with him. I don't know him personally. Maybe we've exchanged one or two messages over the years. But he's written, um, I mean, one big movie that he wrote uh, back in the 90s, which I don't know if anybody's seen, but it's a movie called Rounders, which was a movie about gambling. Um, It was a movie about like a private poker club, and it starred Matt Damon. Um, And the other person in it, I, I can't really remember. I've seen the movie once or twice. It's a pretty good movie. It's very of its time. Like, it's very 90s, you know, sort of on the edge guy movie. Um, you know, the 90s were, had a lot of these, like, kind of alpha, like, guy type movies. Um, shit you really don't see anymore because, um, you know, the nature of guyhood in America has changed and uh, there's really not anything sexy or interesting about it. Um, I guess it was overdone. But uh, he wrote that movie and he also wrote, uh, he writes and created uh, the Showtime show Billions, which is is definitely like an alpha show. Um, You've probably seen it or seen ads for it. It's a big show, Billions, and uh, it takes place like, it's really about like a hedge fund. Um, It's kind of set in the world of high finance. And um, I want to say Andrew Ross... Sorkin from the Wall Street Journal, if that's where he works, I don't fucking know. Um, he's involved with it too. 
Um, both of these fucking guys, you know, who are very well respected, have just been saying all kinds of dumb shit lately. And, you know, I don't have no personal fucking beef with them, you know. Um, but Andrew Ross Sorkin, you know, tweeted something the other day about financial literacy <laughs> in the United States. And he was talking about the Amazon deal and how uh, Amazon pulling out of Queens, you know, it wasn't like um, the government was you know, the, the New York state, uh, city government, state government, they weren't getting back $3 million, you know, basically because Amazon was pulling out because that was the whole thing to that deal. And what a lot of people had problems with was that there was, um, like a $3 billion tax break that Amazon was getting. And so he tweeted something to the effect of, you know, financial literacy in the United States is, is a problem because people don't understand how that, tax break is working. It's not that they were getting $3 billion. Um, they were getting a tax break because they were bringing business to, um, to Queens. That business in Queens was going to employ a large number of people. That large number of people was going to have salaries. Those salaries were going to live in the neighborhood. By virtue of them living in the neighborhood, they were going to spend money in the neighborhood, therefore creating well, uh, creating business opportunities in the neighborhood. And so the tax break was kind of like, we'll give you, we don't, we're not giving you $3 billion. We're, 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 we're giving you a break because you're going to create business that creates tax revenue. And that's how it worked. It was like a trade-off, right? And to be honest, like, that was kind of fascinating to me. I didn't really think about it that way, I have to admit. But I thought like when he said, you know, that financial literacy was a problem, I, all I could think was like, I'm sorry, man, like not all of us went to Ivy League colleges, like not all of us were that privileged. Um, and not even that it was a privilege, because I'm sure he worked hard to get to an Ivy League college. But, you know, most people are pretty fucking dumb. I mean, that's just facts. Um, the average person really is not, you know, that smart. I mean, they're of, of, of moderate intelligence. I mean, we're talking about pretty sophisticated business type things. I mean, why would anybody understand the way a tax break works? I mean, a lot of people don't even know what a fucking tax break is. Um, like, but getting back to Brian Koppelman, his boy, um, Koppelman, um, you know, tweeted something and it was about screenwriting and he said, um, his actual tweet is, so I'm going to state one thing to screenwriters that needs to be said. And that is, if you write something truly undeniable, you will get past the gatekeepers. Um, let me read that again. This was a tweet that Brian Koppelman, Brian Koppelman, creator of Billions, uh, writer of Rounders and some other movies. I mean, you can fucking Google him. He's a pretty active guy. Brian Koppelman tweets, So I'm going to state one thing to screenwriters that needs to be said. And that is, if you write something truly undeniable, you will get past the gatekeepers. And all I thought after I read this was, man, I fucking hate it. When rich people give out advice, um, like I could not see anything more ridiculous than somebody like Brian Koppelman 
again, a guy who I follow, who I uh, admire, who I think is, you know, a cool dude, you know what I'm saying, in some sense or another. Um, I don't, I don't believe that if you write something truly undeniable, you will get past the gatekeepers. I really don't. Um, I think that gatekeepers look for shit that relates to them. Um, they're not really seeking out fucking things that are new or novel or interesting. I mean, some are. I don't deny it. Like when I'm on a plane to LA and I see people reading scripts and when I am in, am in LA and I'm at like a hotel and I see people fucking, you know, basically on vacation reading scripts, I fucking love it. I, it gets me so juiced up. I literally want to fucking, I just want to live inside of those moments because um, it, it, it shows me people who are like kind of off the clock and they're working and they're working, they're fucking working, and that, like, that really is exciting to me, because, um, like, the perception I have sometimes of things is that people are very apathetic and complacent and not really, um, doing that much, um, so I do think people are looking, I think people are hungry, you know, um, but I don't think that, you know, I don't even know what undeniable means. What does, if you write something truly undeniable, mean? Um, you could write something undeniable when it's sitting in a slush pile somewhere or it's sitting in somebody's email or, you know, it's just sitting on somebody's desk and they're not reading it. Um, getting read is not the fucking, you know, is is like not that easy. I mean, so much goes into getting your shit, you know, paid attention to that... Um, that's really the thing is like, even with music, right? On the last episode, I said, you could send me music. Don't send it to me, but you could. And if you do write me like an email, something about it, it's not about getting the fucking music to me. You know what I'm saying? Cause everybody has access to everyone now, right? You could send music to fucking anybody on earth, right? But that doesn't mean the person's going to listen to it. You know what I'm saying? And they're technically, I mean, is there a gatekeeper? I mean, in some sense, like, music and film's not always the same, right? Um, film and television, like, you need a little bit more of a go-ahead. There's a little bit more of a chain of command now. Music is very reactive. Like, you put your shit on SoundCloud, you upload your music to Spotify. These things kind of move on their own. Or they don't, you know? I mean, sometimes, like, there's a lot of things behind the scenes happening that people don't see like there are major label major labels who are pretty much um behind a lot of indie shit right um but like in terms of a gatekeeper paying attention to something um they're not going to pay attention to it just cuz it lands on their desk because they have so much stuff um like they're getting so many scripts and they're getting so much, so many things that, um, they're really, uh, not paying attention to that much shit. Like, and the undeniability and the greatness of that product, um, just getting somebody to pay attention to it is, is, is really the challenge. Um, and I do think, you know, that, uh, I know that he fought, he later followed up on that tweet and he said something like, you know, it's harder for people of color and women um, uh, to get their stuff looked at. And then he used like Spike Lee to make an example. 
Um, and I don't know. I mean, it just seemed fucking ridiculous to me. You know what I'm saying? Like to use spikes for first of all, Spike Lee, all respect due, you know, um, I mean, he's an older guy now, you know what I'm saying? Like using an example from 25 fucking years ago, you know, or 30 years ago of a guy who was, you know, at NYU film school is really not like a relevant example. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, where are the fucking new filmmakers? You know, where are, where is the new generation, even the generation that is being celebrated now, which you see on all these magazine covers and so on and so forth. A lot of them are really not a new generation, but an old generation being repurposed into a new generation. Um, the, many of them have been around eight, nine, ten years um, so the really, the, the emergent class now is not like it's new, but it's old. Right. And so, and there's so many levels in which those, um, that group of people, let's, let's, let's call it the, the black filmmaker circle. Um, I mean, a lot of those folks have been around for a long time, you know what I'm saying? And I'm sure many of them have written a great, number of undeniable scripts and screenplays and had that shit just sit on somebody's desk because of the fact that nobody was looking for, you know, um, whatever it was that they were selling. Um, so mostly I just don't like when, you know, it's like when people who are, I mean, Brian Cobbleman, like, and I also don't like when people just write off a ri like a rich person's opinion because rich people, I mean, if you're rich, like it's not your fucking fault, right? I mean, you can't pick and choose who you're born to. I know like some people who make music who are really fucking wealthy. I mean, people like just straight up born in the fucking end zone, you know, like live in huge fucking mansions and own beautiful apartments and their parents are socialites and they have so much money at their disposal and 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 you do think like in a sense like <laughs> like of all the things you want to do you want to fucking be a rapper or you want to be a singer like all right you know um music's actually filled with a lot of those people you know what i'm saying uh Again, it's not a meritocracy, but I do think that people will use the fact that somebody is rich as a uh, a way to write them off, as if their opinion doesn't matter or what they have to say is not relevant. And I think like great art can come from a rich person, a poor person, a person you know who is is neither of those things, who's somewhere in the middle. It can come from anywhere, you know, but. I do think there's a sense of entitlement with when when a guy like Brian Koppelman, who um, basically his father was like a billionaire, you know, uh, his father ran, if I'm not mistaken, like EMI Records, um, and before that, like owned a publishing company, and Brian himself worked in the music industry. Uh, um, Tracy Chapman was his big find, uh, among other you know artists that he signed. Um, and I don't know, this idea that you can just put in the work and get the shit seen, like, is definitely a like a point of view that you can have if you're, you know, a little bit in like an ivory tower, so to speak, like, uh, you know, um, it's not enough to do the work when you're in fucking, you know, basically living in nowhere land and don't know anybody like it's it's enough to do the work when to do the work it can get seen but like um 
I mean, my point of view on this is is such that, you know, again, going back to what I was talking about at the beginning of this episode, I was just a kid like in Staten Island who didn't know anybody. And, you know, like I didn't go to college with a bunch of people who would go on to do great things. Like my network was fucking nothing. Um, I didn't know anybody. I had to go create the network and figure it out. I didn't have parents who could guide me. I didn't have you know, mentors, nothing. Everything was just me figuring it out, putting, there was absolutely nobody on earth who told me this person is a person you need to talk to. I never had a mentor. Everything I figured out myself. Um, and even now, I mean, I'm probably being a fucking moron by, by talking about this dude here as, you know, he's, uh, you know, a good guy and everybody takes, Everybody takes these things, you know, more seriously than they need to be. And you don't want to be overly negative. I mean, um, I'm not trying to be. I'm just I'm just saying that, uh, you know, <laughs> it's definitely a privilege to to feel like if you just do the work, it'll get seen and write something undeniable. I mean, that's just absolute nonsense. <laughs> um, you know, like 10 percent is the work. 90 percent is getting it in front of people. Um, so that's that. I mean, if you, again, if you feel a way, let me know. Um, other things that, you know, I have been thinking about over the last fucking 24 hours. Um, definitely. I mean, if you listen to the first episode, now you're listening to this, you can tell I don't have my, my daughter's nowhere near me right now. My wife took her out somewhere. Um, to a baby massage class, <laughs> um, cause that's what babies need, fucking massages. Um, I, you know, myself, um, I recently had a massage. It was the first one I had had in a long time. Um, massages are definitely like some fucking, some, some, um, massages are definitely something that fucking, you know, a certain kind of person gets into. Um, I remember the first time I actually had a massage, a, a, a woman bought me one. I was maybe 29 or 30 at the time. Um, and she, you know, was just like, I want to do something nice for you. And so she set me up on like a spa um, date. <laughs> so to speak, and um, I'd never had one, I'd never had a manicure or a pedicure, or any of that shit, and I was like, fuck, man, this is, this is really dope, you know, and um, the immediate effects of a massage cannot be felt, like, right afterward, it's only, you know, a day or two later that you really understand, like, what exactly happened and how it makes you feel, um, you know, the body has so many parts of it that, um, react to things, uh, over time. Um, everything is kind of like, um, on a little bit of a timed or delayed reaction. Like it's like going to the gym. I mean, you could go to the gym for like a month and run six miles a day. And in that month, you may not see anything happen, but in that second month, you'll start to see progress. And pretty much the things you did a month ago will start to influence what is happening in that second month. Um, and there's like a compounding, you know, uh, um, interest to it. Uh, even, you know, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I don't even know what the fuck I'm trying to say, but I, I would have hoped that you get it. I mean, basically, the more you do something, the more, like, it adds up. Um, so if you put in an hour today, you know, and an hour tomorrow and an hour after that, um, by, you know, the second week, third week, those hours start to, like, really build up into something. And you're not, you're not starting at, that you're not still at that hour on day one, you know. Now you're at that hour of you know, the third week where it gets easier and it compounds. Um, so yeah, my baby is not around today. Um, and, <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I, I, she was really quite, um, enjoyable to be around yesterday as I was doing this. Um, I was thinking maybe I would do every episode with her at my feet, but, um, she sadly has, uh, you know, gone out today. She's had a little bit of a a date, you know, with my wife. And um, she's, you know, doing more important things than listening to me talk about Cardi B and fucking Brian Koppelman and, you know, other shit that I'm just annoyed about. Um, but I was actually at a dinner um, a couple of weeks ago when I was in L.A. for the Grammys. Um I was at a dinner with uh, a group of songwriters and um it was it was a birthday for um my one of my friends uh wife's I was staying with this friend um and his wife at their house um in LA uh they were courteous enough to put me up and I'm really thankful for them and um so they had a birthday dinner um, for her and she had turned 34 and I'm at this dinner and a bunch of the songwriters and producers that she manages came and um, these are all, you know, very successful people. They, you know, do songs for um, really some of the biggest artists in popular music, not necessarily in hip hop music, but in popular music. Um, well, I guess that's a fucking oxymoron, um, cause hip hop's pretty popular, but, but more on like the pop side. I mean, if you want to get into genre, they, um, do stuff for like, you know, your Katy Perry's and your, your Miley Cyrus's and, uh, Lady Gaga's and Kesha's and Britney Spears and that type of stuff more, uh, down the middle pop, you know, Maroon 5, that sort of thing. Um, and so as I'm sitting there at this table, a little out of place, um, as I often feel, no matter where the fuck I go, um, <laughs> um, one of the songwriters there whose name I, I forget, um, he was with his wife and they, they were like, yo man, we just found out that we're, you know, my wife's pregnant and I was like, man, shit, like, you know, it was, it was a lot of like, um, baby energy <laughs> at the table. Um, well, and some of it, you know, obviously was coming from, from their side. So, um, the dude was asking me like, you know, about what the experience was like. And I was kind of trying to, um, tell him like, you know, some of my thoughts and feelings about it. And, I couldn't really relate it to anything but like music. And um, I think that, you know, a couple of things I told him, which I'm obviously telling you now, um, was 
I mean, having a kid is definitely, you know, it takes a lot of energy, but there's a lot of adrenaline that goes into it. Um, and I would compare it to um, what I compared it to, and I have been comparing it to, I compare it to making an album. You know what I'm saying? Like having a kid is like making an album. Um or doing anything that you love. But for, for me, I can only compare it to making an album or maybe writing an article. Which is that you really don't think about anything but what is in front of you in that moment. It's a completely um, psychotic kind of like bipolar, you know, uh, manic episode that just continues on and on and on, you know, um, for the duration of however long it is that you're doing it. I mean, I guess until you, um, I don't know if I can get a divorce, whatever the fuck it is <laughs> that gives you that, that, um, that little break from the kid. But I mean, as far as like, you know, shit goes right, like right now, I mean, my daughter today turned three months old, um, and like not a day has really gone by that hasn't felt really, you know, kind of, uh, just incredibly joyful and like, almost like you really just want to be doing it. Like when you go to make an album, you don't give a, you're not thinking about putting in time. You don't think about it in terms of hours. You don't think about it in terms of let me come in and do this and get out of here. It's not like going to a job that you don't want to do. Um, nobody makes music because they have to do it. Um, they make it because they want to. I mean, if if they don't, it, it it if they don't feel that way, it definitely shows over time. You know, it it reveals itself to be a thing that a person is just punching a clock at and. Um, and nobody can be great doing that. Um, I mean, truly great. Um, so that is how I feel about, you know, parenthood and uh, having a kid. Um, somebody asked me yesterday if I was enjoying fatherhood and I told them to listen to the podcast. But I really have to say it and I'll probably talk about it more if I continue doing this. But like, yeah, man, having a kid is definitely like just making an album. It's like you, you're you not thinking about the time. You're not, you know, trying to get in and get out. You want to be there completely and totally. And your attention is just on whatever it is you're doing at that moment. Like when you're doing a guitar part or you're programming drums or you're looping a sample it requires so much energy and so much attention, even if it's easy to do. Um, it doesn't have to be sophisticated, but like chopping a sample up does require, uh, you know, some attention to detail. Uh, you have to look at the sample or you have to listen to it. It triggers so many fucking, so many s senses, your, your ears, you know, your, your, how you feel about the music, like, you know, it's definitely like a very intuitive thing and, and, and lights up parts of you that are, you're not gonna, um, you're not gonna get that really in, in every other aspect of your life. And, you know, you might not get that, like digging a ditch or, you know, driving a car or whatever. Um, you know, so, I think that um, 
that uh, that is 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 definitely how I feel about it. I mean, you 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 know, you don't think uh, about time or anything like that. The other thing is like you know everything becomes bigger in the sense that you know. Uh, like when you're in the studio, like at least for me, and it was great, like talking to you know these guys about pop uh, music, you know, because they could kind of relate to it. But it's like with when your daughter takes a shit, <laughs> when your daughter takes a shit, like you get so excited about the dumbest shit, like you're getting excited about the fact that she's taking a shit, you know, and um, you know you're excited about the fact that the shit is big and you just want the shit to become bigger. And it's like making a chorus. Like when you make a chorus and you stack up the chorus and you, you record like 20 tracks of audio to make this chorus as big as possible. Um, you pretty much feel the same way about your kid taking a shit. You just want that shit to be the biggest shit possible. If the kid hasn't shit for like a day, you're just like, you know, I can't wait for you to make this big shit because you know that that shit, her making that shit makes her feel good. You know, it's this big release. Um, and, you know, this is what it, whatever. It's too much information, TMI, but I don't, again, really give a fuck. You know what I'm saying? I'm sure there's some people out here who, who listening who can relate. If you can't relate, I mean, maybe one day you will I appreciate you tolerating this. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, you know, some thoughts on, you know, parenthood for today. Um, and I think I'm going to cut it short now or long. I mean, if you listen this long, I'm thankful. Um, I feel that, you know, I've talked a lot. And, you know, if you tuned in for, you know, coming up on an hour, like that's dope and i want you to tune in again uh as i continue doing this um so i again i thank you uh for for listening um if you are one of those you know small group of people who are tuning into this um i really appreciate it i really appreciate it if you didn't hear that um and what else do I want to say? Um, I guess, yeah, email me, you know, if you feel a way about this, my name at, at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm just It's just my name, backslash my name, Paul Cantor. Um, you know, you like it, tell me you like it. If you don't, you know, tell me you don't. You want me to go fuck myself, tell me to go fuck myself. You think I'm wrong about Cardi B, tell me I'm a jerk off. Um, you agree you know, let me know. I mean, just talk to me. Um, and if you don't talk to me, that's okay too. Uh, you know, either way I'm okay. <laughs> it's kind of what I'm saying, but, uh, thank you for checking this out. This was live from the couch episode two. All right. I'm going to catch up with you guys soon. All right. Take it easy.